we're qualified experts who know things about packaging. everyone welcome back to do what you can for the people the show that nobody asked for i'm nicole your hostess with the mostest and i'm here today with two of my dear friends they are both circular economy and packaging nerds and i'm so excited to have them on the show i have emma who manages supply chain operations and sustainability at archer roos a sustainable wine company and stephanie who is the sex sector lead and manager for textiles and apparel at cradle to cradle products innovation institute Hey guys, thank you for being on the show today. Great to be here, Nicole. I've invited these two lovely ladies to come on to the show and talk a little bit about sustainable packaging solutions because it's something that we're all really into and nerd out on a lot. And we'll get into some of the ways that we've done that um, later on in the show. And really what we wanna talk about, and we'll get to this even later, is about convenience culture. So I thought maybe ladies, if it's okay with you guys, we could kind of talk a little bit about the packaging problem, which is something that all of us really, I think, came together in the first year of our MBA program with the Circular Box Company. (laughs) (laughs) So just to set the stage a little bit, we had a pitch competition in the first semester of our MBA program, the Bard College MBA Sustainability, and the three of us plus Aileen had a little team and we pitched a sustainable solution for packaging in the retail sector for e-commerce. Um, and this really came from seeing that there is a really big packaging problem as e-commerce grows. So we like to start the show off with some facts and figures. Uh, so let's do that. In 2019, consumers worldwide spent nearly $3.46 trillion online. And in 2018, 87 billion packages were delivered worldwide. If you do the math, which I did, that comes out to 2,760 packages every second that are being shipped. Any thoughts on those numbers, ladies? You can go if you want, Stephanie. I was just going to say that's a lot of packages. And of course, I don't know if we have any stats around um, returns, right? I mean, because the stuff has to go back. And a lot of times, you know, I don't know, for me, for example, I'm collapsing the stuff, the boxes I've received then I have to send something back and maybe I go to UPS and have to buy another box there to send the thing back. So, um, yeah. So a lot of packaging, a lot of packaging. Um, and I think something that I've heard in my part of the world is that, Oh, but it doesn't matter so much because we're using cardboard and cardboard is a more sustainable solution. And I think it is definitely better than, you know, using those plastic mailers, especially like Amazon does and stuff like that. Uh, But it, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around cardboard packaging. So some of the things that we uncovered in our research for that pitch was that cardboard generates the most waste in both its, its production use and disposal. And it actually has quite a high carbon footprint. So for every ton of cartons manufactured, um, in Europe, a total of 326 kilograms of CO2 is emitted. And it's a lot of emissions. And I feel like people don't really realize that, especially when you're thinking about companies that are shipping stuff out every day to multiple people, they don't have enough recycled cardboard in their own home to actually get the reuse out of it. So they are using new boxes. Now, whether that's virgin cardboard or recycled cardboard, it is still a new box, which is 
a completely different impact. Right. Yeah, I was also just thinking of like urban dwellers, you know, who don't have a lot of space to begin with. The thing comes and you're immediately like, I got to get rid of this box. And then, you know, a week later within the return, like window, for example, you're like, oh, wait a second. Like I was saying, you got to go buy another box. You got to go buy more boxes. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of people also didn't realize this. I know I didn't, that cardboard can't be recycled if it becomes wet or damaged. And so one of my biggest pet peeves is I'll be walking down the street, it'll be a recycling day, and I'll see all the cardboard boxes just sitting on the street. And I'm like, what if it rains? I mean, anything could happen, yeah. and then that, all that material gets wasted. Go ahead, Steph. Well, I actually, I'm looking out my window now. I'm, I'm in here in Harlem, and tomorrow is recycling day here, tomorrow morning. Um, and the super put out um, the cardboard boxes. But of course, the cardboard boxes are in a plastic bag. Okay, every week. So I've got, I'm looking at four, five clear plastic bags full of cardboard boxes. So I don't know, maybe it's protecting it from getting damaged and wet, so it could be recycled, but then what happens to those plastic bags that they're all wrapped in? Yeah, I think there's also just a ton of misinformation about the proper way to recycle things and yeah. especially packaging and how it varies from municipality to municipality. Um, but yeah, the whole putting all of your recyclables into a plastic bag, I, I cannot understand that. And I don't know if I ever will. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the purpose of packaging. So I did a whole certi certification on packaging and what it's required and what's required of it and stuff like that. And there are really four things that you're looking for, um, for packaging. You want to store the product, although we're seeing a lot more of naked products, which I love, and we can certainly talk about those. Um, you want to protect the product in transit. You want to share and highlight any important information. So like how to take care of it, any warnings, any expiration dates, and there's a branding and marketing opportunity. Apart from that, I can't really think of anything else that you would want your packaging to do. No, well, the other thing is that it's transitory, right? It's, it's the least permanent part of whatever you're buying. Like even if you think about food packaging, like the, you want the packaging gone before the food is. Right. And I think that's also um, an interesting concept is that, especially in the time of COVID, we have a lot of fear around keeping our things clean. Um, and so one of my other big biggest pet peeves in life, I've seen bananas in plastic bags. I don't know if you guys have grocery stores that do that. And the first thing that people do when they get home from the grocery store, especially these days, is remove any unnecessary packaging and throw it directly into the trash. Um, and I'm really not sure what the purpose of that packaging is at all. Yeah, I just went to the grocery store this weekend and was in a store that I knew, I know that that's how the bananas look um, on the shelf. But of course, like stores that don't do that, like maybe the higher end stores, um, have already removed that packaging and perhaps disposed of it improperly as well. So just because I'm seeing it there on the store, yes, it annoys me. Um, but actually that's how bananas are shipped. Yeah. in this plastic and then in the, in the cardboard boxes. It's a system, it's a system. It's a very strange system. Um, and I think one of the things that I would love to see more on packaging that's probably falls under important information is like the proper way to recycle. And that comes back to your comment about the system though, is that there's no standardized recycling um, mm. that you don't actually know how to kind of make that information easily accessible to everyone because people live in different areas and each person's municipality recycles certain things and some don't like in my my town they don't accept uh bottle lids 
in mm. your normal recycling. And to be quite honest, most people who live here don't know that. And so they throw it in there anyways. Um, and I just wish that there was some kind of way to fix that system. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts mm. on that. I mean, a lot of it has to do with like how forward logistics versus, versus logistics work, right? So forward logistics, it's very easy. You know, you've got a centralized product that you try to disperse, but trying to get all of those dispersed waste streams back into a centralized format is really where the challenge hits. Um, and I know that this is something we've talked about ad nauseum, um, but with regards to the municipality and trying to like standardize across, you know, those dispersed uh, streams, there, there have been efforts um, such as like how to recycle, uh, which I think we've talked about a little bit, um, which is handy. It's just like, we'll talk about this later with convenience culture. It's just like, it requires another effort beyond just like throwing it in the bin. And it's, do you want to take that effort when you've already consumed the product? Um, and packaging is already like an afterthought. Obviously there are unboxing experiences where people try to like create engagement with their packaging, but there's no like, experience where you're like I am now recycling my packaging and it's magical right or like reusing your packaging mm -hmm. um, which I think is really difficult to do especially with plastics like with the glass things sure any pasta jar I get uh, pasta sauce jar I get I'm like I'm going to keep this I'm going to use it forever but I think with the plastics it's a little bit harder to even imagine a reuse situation for that well because we've been conditioned to believe that this essentially forever material is actually single use, right. which is hilarious. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I love thinking about that, how people love to frame plastics as like an evil substance. And they're actually not. Plastics are great if you use them the right way. Uh, it's the single use plastics that we really want to get rid of. Right. Yeah. So maybe let's talk about some fun things that are happening in the space. Let's talk about some of these innovations and solutions that are gaining popularity and we kind of split these up into materials and models so mm. let's start with materials um, compostable packaging compostables in general are kind of making a, a rise in the U.S. but I personally don't think that it's a very effective solution there aren't a ton of composting facilities they don't accept I haven't found any yet that accept compostable packaging I don't know if you guys have any experience in this space no and I Oh, sorry, Emma. Well, I was just going to say that I think also this fuels some of the confusion that Emma was speaking about earlier, um, you know, around what to do with this packaging now that you have. It's labeled, let's say, compostable, because a lot of times the marketing for that packaging is just throw it in your backyard garden, assuming you have a backyard garden, um, you know, and honestly, that that confusion extends to um, the work I do in the fashion sector, um, because there are a lot of innovative materials that are bio-based materials that are also marketed as compostable, innovative and compostable. And so um, I get a lot of questions from uh, consumers who are saying, you know, well, if I buy this thing made with this compostable material, can I throw it in my vegetable garden? And the answer is no. Um, and yeah, so uh, there's also related to compost compostable materials, um, additives too that are added right to to um, plastics that make it even less uh, recyclable right you know there's there's no uh, decent uh, uh, stream for that material right so yeah well, I mean, it's the idea of layers right so you know we were talking earlier about cardboard and like cardboard can be highly recyclable like we, we talked a little bit about like various reasons that it isn't 
Yeah. Um, but one of those reasons is that like, if you include a coating on that cardboard, suddenly it's useless because now it's plastics and it's multi-materials and it can't go into a single stream. Right. Um, and I think that that's probably another issue beyond just, you know, whether something is compostable or not. It's like, does it have, is it mixed materials? Um, yeah. And, and going back to the theme of fashion materials for just a minute, um, mono material is becoming much more popular now because of that issue, because the separation of the material at the end of life of the garment, the more materials that are in that garment, the harder it is to separate them down into the fibers and yarns for the new um, garment. Um, and now uh, a lot of apparel brands are working with um, supply chains to develop um, mono materials for that reason. So I don't know Yeah, if that's the answer for packaging or not, but. I think also that there's just a lot of confusion and not a lot of maybe regulation in this space just yet. Um, so I'm gonna kind of uh, talk a little bit about bioplastics and compostables at the mm -hmm. same time here. So bioplastics can be really misleading. Bioplastics are in theory, a plastic-like material that's made from a renewable material, um, but by law, any bioplastic manufacturer only has to use 25% biomaterial to call itself a bioplastic. And that is crazy to me um, because that is such a low threshold, I think. And mm. so a lot of the conversations I've been having, especially with compostable um, industrial composting facilities is, well, we don't wanna take in compostables and bioplastics because we don't actually know what the material content is there. And we don't know yes. what the rate of contamination is. And without knowing that it's a nightmare to have to sit down and look up each individual piece of packaging and figure out, okay, well, what's actually in this? Right. How is it going to affect my end product compost? Can I actually put it back into the earth? Um, and it's just, it's, I feel like we need that regulation piece or at least some kind of standardization piece, or maybe we just need more education. Um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what is like the real barrier to kind of getting this to work here. I mean, it's, it's like who has power in this situation, right? So that regulation that only 25% of bioplastics extra really need to come from a renewable source, like that comes because the people who are manufacturing these quote unquote bioplastics, like they had power in that regulation and the people who are receiving these and trying to repurpose them into new materials, they did not. So it's, it's a stakeholder engagement process. So it is a piece of um, education and it is a piece of regulation, but it's more about the power and who has agency within the system and whose voice is heard, um, both on like an industry level and also an individual level. And yeah. Just, I was going to just add to that. I mean, um, from the industry level, right? Our favorite, one of our, one of the other favorite topic um, within the subject of packaging is EPR, right? Exact, um, mm -hmm. Extended producer responsibility. And so, um, Steph, you know, do you want to explain what extended producer responsibility means? <laughs> Tell the people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, okay. I'll, I'll give a real basic explanation. I mean, it's basically like if you're going to put, um, you know, if you're Coca-Cola and you're going to put a plastic bottle out there figure out a way to get that thing back or, you know, own, own the existence of it. Now that's probably not a great example because I can that's, help. A single, well, that's a single use scenario. Right. But, but, but you're not oh, wrong. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, I, we, we're not, we're going to talk like, about loop a little later. Um, but I think that that's, it's extending that's the responsibility. Version. Yeah. It's extending the responsibility past the point of sale. It's saying right. that once you make that sale, you're not done. You're still responsible for the materials that you put out into the environment, into the right. world, whatever you want to call it. 
right. You're responsible. Yeah. For, and, and, in order to, and in order for them to um, take responsibility of that um, at, at end of use, even if it's a single use product, like a plastic bottle of Coke, they, they have to think about, they have to design that bottle with intent and the materials that go into it with intent. And then the system as it exists now and, and, and design the system for the future to, to, to enable that EPR to, to work, you know, to the businesses to benefit. Um, so that's, that obviously yeah. goes along with industry policy, which is what I'm always saying. I think that's a huge point because right now, some of the biggest questions are is, who's responsible everyone's playing that you know that meme of the spider-man's pointing at each other i think about that meme all the time it's like no it's your job no it's your job and it's like i i agree with epr to be quite honest um i think that producers do need to think about who's responsible for recollecting those materials designing those systems and quite frankly paying for all of that extra labor like I, I wonder how I'm just gonna throw this out there as a devil's advocate. Like I wonder how distasteful single-use packaging using the Coke bottle would be to us if we knew that Coke was handling, you know, the recovery of it and reusing it appropriately. I don't know how we would feel about that. I mean, right now that's not happening, and so we're like, oh, that's just another example of a single-use package. I don't know. Um, yeah, I could I could go on. I, I was gonna just mention something around. Um, when you're talking about bioplastics, I also was starting to think of just um, the regular old plastic that's in the oceans, right? Mm -hmm. It's in our waterways and the trend to um, mix virgin material with, uh, with post-consumer waste, um, you know, and, and figuring out that whole system of making sure you've got um, reliable feedstock, uh, ideally clean, non-toxic feedstock, um, to you know, create packaging from uh, post-consumer waste. But then you have to think, well, if you create that system and products that work well in that system, um, are we perpetuating something we don't want to see in the world? You know, fossil fuel-based plastics, for example. It's just, an, it sort of incentivizes um, uh, companies to continue to produce these plastic mm -hmm. packages, packages that we're upset about. I mean, we talk about this all the time in circular economy, that it's not the be all end all, it's the transition to like true sustainability and regeneration, um, right? It's just like, here's where we're at. It's terrible. Let's get to a place less terrible and then let's get to a place that's good. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know, I kind of like the synergy between the, the idea of circular economy and creating these interim systems mm -hmm. and the idea of packaging, which mm -hmm. in itself, is transitory, right? It's yeah. not something that's made to last. Um, it's supposed to serve a very limited finite purpose and then disappear from everything, although it never does. Disappear. Disappear. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an interesting thought though about the plastic that you mentioned, Stephanie, and plastic. Like, I think there's just so much drama around plastics in general so maybe let's switch over to glass yeah and let's let emma get riled up because i know she has so much to say working in the alcohol industry um, and seeing how glass is used for packaging all the time emma i'm gonna let you take it away yeah um so as nicole introduced me i work for a sustainable wine company um we package in 
all formats except glass. Um, and that's because glass is super heavy and super fragile. And it's just like, it does some really great things um, with regards to protecting product, um, but it is less great on a lot of other fronts. Um, yeah, if you go into your average liquor store, it's just full of glass. And why? There's a couple reasons for that, but not all of them. Um, essentially glass is extremely heavy, um, which means that it creates a lot of emissions when you transport it because emissions are essentially um, one of their major factors is weight times the type of fuel you use to move that weight. If you want to pare it down to like its simplest form. So if you're moving something heavy, it takes a lot more effort and emissions to do that. Um, and then they're also incredibly hard to recycle. Like a lot of glass just like gets shattered. So we were talking about like how cardboard doesn't make it um, in pristine condition to recyclers. Glass likewise does not do that. Um, and there's also like different colors of glass, like clear versus green versus dark. It's just, it's a mess. It be recycled together. Yeah. And it's just like, why? There are alternates. <laughs> just why? I know glass is like, there's, there's a form factor. So we were talking a little bit about how, about how packaging um, serves like a, a marketing purpose about communicating something important about your brand and like glass conveys yeah. the message that it's expensive and fancy and that it's quality. And that is a dirty, rotten lie. <laughs> you are paying for packaging and not product. And I feel like that's the case with so many things in our world today that we're paying for the packaging, not the product. I mean, to a certain degree, I think people have realized that about bottled water. But mm -hmm. I think that if they just opened their eyes a little bit more, they'd realize that in most things in life, especially if you're talking about anything branded, you're paying for packaging, not the actual product inside. Yeah. And it's like, there are ways to do packaging that's so much better. And like, you still get that feel good experience of like, ooh, this is fancy and nice without it also being like terrible. Right. Well, you guys, you guys know, you know, when, when bottle, when, when wine in bottles and glass came, came on board with the screw top, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. everyone was like, um, I need the experience of opening, you know, I need the cork to pop, please. Like, this is no good. Like the packaging experience is not satisfactory. I love those. Now I know they're still glass. I'm sorry, yeah. Emma, but I love, I mean, it's just so convenient. I don't have to go look for the stopper. I just screw it on, screw it off. Well, in, um, in wine world, there's like also like, the whole thing about like, you won't get the proper, like it won't age properly if there's a screw top. It's just like, it's wrong. The and like, there's I've the level of elitism with like you. tradition, right? Yeah. If you have this history and it's like, this is the way it's always been done. Therefore, yeah. anything that is not that is bad. And there, there's this, it's yeah. so frustrating that, you know, you get tied to what has been done that you can't see the future. And you're just like, no, this yeah. is right because it's the, it's the past, it's tradition. Right. It's like, well, well, that's yeah. why I'm saying there's hope for changing the packaging, right? Because I think there's a mind sh mindset shift. At least I experienced it with my screw top wine. Um, just saying. But but also with, with portability, right? Mm -hmm. I know we haven't gotten into convenience culture yet, but it's a heck of a lot easier to take a can of wine <laughs> right, to the park um, than a bottle. It's also safer to take uh, a yeah. can of wine than a bottle. Um, yeah. So in general, I think I personally find canned wine delightful. Um, I particularly enjoy canned Prosecco. So if any of my seven followers want to send me a gift, please do. Uh, I will accept canned Prosecco in for me. any form. <laughs> but I think that there's just this 
completely agree with you that there's something about this that's the way it's always been done and so that's the way it always will be done and that definitely comes into convenience culture but it also talks about as you put in our notes emma challenging the status quo um there are so many different ways to have wine delivered and there have been for generations you could have it you know in a can in a keg i don't know what a bib is i don't know if you want to share bag and box um ah. so there's like there's a spectrum oh. of <laughs> so, so much um there's like there's a spectrum of how alcohol brands are you know thinking about sustainability with regards to glass packaging because basically alcohol is packaged in glass some beer is in aluminum but basically alcohol is packaged in glass and then it's put into a cardboard box and then it's shipped off on its merry way and then the way that alcohol works is that typically um you have a central distillery brewery vineyard and that's where it's packaged so it's not even just like shipped in meaningful quantities it's shipped in like very small amounts um so it's it's an extremely inefficient system um but there's there's good reasons and not so good reasons for the way that that's done um but i think what's What's more interesting is that there are, there are ways that people are approaching this. So some people like the, the big wine players, like your gallows, um, they're lightweight in their bottles. So instead of having heavy glass bottles, you have glass bottles that are a little bit more lightweight, um, which is a cool materials innovation. Um, then recently, uh, Diageo and Absolute came out with paper bottles, um, which is super exciting. And I'm very curious to see how the market reacts to that, um, because that is like, you're keeping the form the same but the material has changed um yeah which is gonna I haven't be seen those yeah. um but diageo in particular has gotten a huge amount of play for like their innovation and like not only doing a paper bottle but putting johnny walker in that paper bottle a classic um, yeah yeah exactly which cool. is super exciting to see um and my dad drinks Johnny Walker Black Label, like that is his go-to drink. And I sent him that article showing that they were doing it in a paper box. And he was actually excited about it. So I'm hopeful that yeah. the status quo is changing, that this yeah. whole idea of like having the feel of a glass bottle or having like the unboxing experience with their 18 layers of tissue paper, like hopefully that is going away because those are fleeting moments um, if you really think about well, there's it. There's also like an interesting piece about like right size and packaging. So we didn't talk about this previously, but one of the things that brought us together as mm. a as a trio was um, receiving packages in the mail that was perhaps a single item within a massive box for no reason yeah. whatsoever beyond like you had to hit a shipping minimum and this, they decided that the extra like $2 thing that you put in the box deserved its own personal box that was massive. <laughs> the night before our pitch, I received a pen, a single pen in a box that is bigger than my laptop. And I lost it. And I used that, I channeled that rage for our pitch yeah. presentation. It was yeah. great. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because you have dimensions on the product and you're like, these are the sizes of the boxes I have. This is the dimension of the product that's listed in the system. It's, it's an optimization problem and it makes sense from like a numbers perspective. Yeah. It does not make sense from any other perspective whatsoever. Mm -hmm. You're taking me back, Emma, because now I was just thinking, you know, our, our, um, one of our ideas was around 3D printing the packaging so that it conformed to the shape, right? So that it, you know, obviously you were, yeah. it goes well, way beyond um, light weighting and actually just, you know, conforms to the size of the thing and some protective shell, but yeah. I mean, oh, taking me back. You're talking about right sizing and that's kind of something that's been increasing, um, especially as you see D2C sales. Um, 
increasing. It's the idea that you're creating this custom unboxing experience. I'm sure it creates cost on the producer end, but it also right. can create a lot of brand value, which is an entire, which as we've discussed is the purpose of packaging. So if you're right sizing your boxes based on, you know, your however many configurations that you tend to ship out, right. then you're reducing the unnecessary emissions from shipping giant packages. Right. And aren't you reducing your costs as well if you're right sizing the shipping? So the amount of money or I mean, potentially, I don't depends. know that it completely offsets the cost of creating that more customized packaging or not. Yeah. But. So it's interesting. I remember one of the conversations mm. that we had in in our interviews for that project was kind of about how, well, why does that happen? And one of the things yeah. that was brought up was, well, the whole logistics portion that plays a part into it. So if you're controlling the logistics, then you also want to optimize your route and your deliveries and the space in that truck. So sometimes right. for the load that you're packing in the truck, which is something that I think a lot of people don't think about is, right. yeah, okay, fine. I have a pen in a giant box and that's irritating, but that box, that pen that yep. was put in a box was put in a truck that was packed to the brim so that nothing right. would move and nothing would fall. And so that's a whole added layer that people I think forget about when they're thinking about why the hell did this come to me this way? Yeah, mm -hmm. good point. Yeah. It, it, I mean, we do have to go back to the fact that packaging is needed to protect the thing that's theoretically of more value than the packaging, even if the packaging has, you know, its own... Yeah embedded emissions, um, that's a concern. I, mean, I think it's important to remember also because if the packaging is not functioning to protect that item, yeah. that I find to be actually kind of worse because then you have exactly. to do the whole process all over again. Yeah, yep. you have to make another widget and ship it out. <laughs> a good time to be working in sustainable packaging. Ooh, lots of problems to solve, ladies, lots of problems. Lots of opportunities. Yes. <laughs> better, better put. <laughs> uh, so maybe let's talk a little bit about our favorite models because that's the part that really excites me. I think the materials are cool, but I'm always more enticed by the models and that probably comes from working in logistics um, mm -hmm. and thinking about all the ways that we can use the existing systems. Uh, let's start with reusables and refillables. Uh, so there, let me back up. There are two types of models, reusables and refillables, where the consumer maintains ownership over the packaging. And then packaging as a service, which is something we all love to talk about, which is where your brand or a third party has ownership over that piece of packaging. So some examples of reusable and refillables are like bringing your own coffee mug to Starbucks, taking your own tote bags to the grocery store. I have a set of bamboo utensils that I love and I carry with me everywhere. Going to bulk grocery stores, which are few and far between, but I really hope one comes to my neighborhood. Um, and then some specific brands of refillables are things like Blueland, uh, which is a company that does cleaning products. And I love that concept because their whole gimmick is why are you paying for the shipping on a bottle of liquid when you have water in your house? Here's a tablet where you can yeah. make your own product. Um, Algramo, Steph, did you write that one? Yeah, Algramo is um, won numerous awards. Um, I don't, I don't have the backstory top of mind right now, but. Um, it, it, they've come up with a refill, a solution that's like a mobile refillable station um, for um, underserved communities. Actually, I think the founder yes. started up in, um, I'm not sure where in Latin America they started, he started it up, but um, basically, maybe it was in Mexico. Um, but the idea is that um, often these communities are um, 
purchasing single-use sachets of, let's say, laundry detergent or something like that. And of course, that waste builds up over time. So he came up with this refillable model. It's essentially a refillable, um, it's, a, it's a mobile station that comes yeah. in the neighborhood, you know, so. Um, but they're rolling it out in New York and um, I can't remember where else they're rolling it out in North America, I think. <clears throat> and then I think we're also seeing this for a lot of like cosmetics. So you mentioned yeah. L'Oreal and Sephora might be working on this. I know that Kyer Weiss has a refillable model. Um, Ethique, Emma, did you just add that one? Yeah, I did. Um, they're less of a, they're more in the naked mm -hmm. category, but their whole thing is like, they do shampoo bars and conditioner bars instead of like having a bottle of shampoo and conditioner you have like this teeny tiny little cardboard box that's compostable right. we talked about but it's it's a it's still a lighter cardboard box and it has no plastic um um and so you're like literally just buying the shampoo soap instead of the bottle of shampoo that um is mostly water like you look at the look at your shampoo or conditioner bottle and it's the first ingredient is water yeah, and I think what's really key about all of these is that, you know, you maintain and you're responsible for keeping that packaging, making sure it gets cleaned and all of that, which is very different from packaging as a service where you just basically swap out. Um, some of our favorite examples are Loop Store, which a lot of people are familiar with, but if you're not, it's a new service run by TerraCycle where they've partnered with, I think, over 70 household brands to bring you like common items. So like Haagen-Dazs ice cream, laundry, shampoo, all kinds it's of like, things. It's, it's, well, it's like for people like you who don't have a bulk store near you, it's so right. that you can get your items in bulk. That being said, I love Loop. I love their model. It is not accessible. Like not. if we're talking about like, we're going to, once again, we're going to get into convenience culture, but part of the reason that packaging, <laughs> the packaging system works is because it is exceptionally cheap. Mm -hmm. It is so cheap to do packaging in cardboard and single-use plastic, single-use. Um, it's it's so unbelievably cheap. That's right. That it's like, why would you do anything else? Right. It's actually more than ten times cheaper. I know because I've been bringing a lot of packaging solutions to my oh, clients, and they're the difference is between like six cents and a dollar and ten cents, and it's mm -hmm. who's going to pay that? You know? Yeah. No, I've been costing similar things for. Um, for the company I work for and it's just like why is this I want to do better and it makes absolutely no sense because I'll ultimately like I'm in operations I'm responsible for GM it's like I'm not going to make this decision yeah I am not incentivized to make this decision but what we often hear in this sort of um the access over ownership models like a packaging as a service model is that uh, the economies of scale will ultimately bring the cost down like over time this will lower and I'm with you. I'm okay. Uh, that needs to happen. I mean, for, I think for the impact to be felt the way um, it's advertised as being impactful, it does need to scale and grow. So perhaps when that time comes, if that time comes, costs will come down, but I mean, until now, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't use it even though I believe in it. Same. It's way out of my price range. So, yeah. I mean, one thing I think about with regards to like these, we talk a lot about the sustainability tax on these solutions, but mm -hmm. I think about, did you guys watch Mad Men ever? Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you remember the episode when uh, they were doing the ad for Pampers? Yes. The disposable diapers. And they were so expensive. 
And it's like, oh, nobody, yes. nobody yeah, has reusable diapers. Nobody uses cloth diapers anymore. I mean, people do, but well, in general, you go, you buy your Pampers, it's fine. Um, but it's like, that's the model. It went from like way too expensive that you're like, oh my God, I should be reusing this yeah. to coming down in cost and becoming so popular because of that convenience factor, because it was just so nice not to have to worry about any of this, that it made sense for more and more people. Of course, there were like simultaneously, simultaneous economic trends yeah. that enabled that, um, like the well, middle class, the growth of the middle class, um, which no longer exists if it ever did, but that's, that's a topic for another time. Well, let's dive into the convenience culture because I think we've been dancing around it. We've been dancing around it. It's where we should have started. <laughs> <laughs> we had to like, you know, set up the stage and make sure that you know, we're qualified experts who know things about packaging. And so now we can rant fully. Um, we have a lot of feels. We have a lot of feels about convenience culture. So we all recently attended a digital conference and there was a panel and they were talking about this competition to redesign the plastic bag. And there was just a lot of feels. I think I fully lost it when a comment was made about, well, we still need plastic bags because what happens if someone comes to our store and they forget their reusable bags? Like we need to have something to offer them. And I was just like, no, I'm done catering to the convenience culture. If we keep having options for them, people are going to keep using those options. And I'm gonna take a pause and take a breath and let you guys dive in with anything <laughs> that you think. I mean, I don't quite know even where to start. I mean, you know, I think I think a lot of these initiatives are, um, you know, I don't want to devalue them because they're they're trying they're trying to fix something. They're not doing nothing. Right. Um, and you know, there's value there. But I think ideally, what we all want is to see a redesign of the system that's and the culture that's perpetuated the need for that single use bag. Um, and I, I just feel that, you know, we've reached a point where because society doesn't value the things that, frankly, as we've been slowing down during the pandemic, you know, I think more people are valuing. But in general, in normal times, pre-pandemic, you know, society doesn't value um, your boss, wouldn't value you leaving work early to go to the grocery store and, you know, Maybe going to the grocery store instead of buying for the week, you go to the grocery store every day yeah. to pick up your evening meal. I mean, I could probably carry that in my arms if I forgot my reusable tote. Exactly. But, you know, because society is not like, you know what, it's important that you eat well, that you take care of yourself and your family. Um, you know, it's like you're rushing to this thing and to the other thing and you're like, oh, I forgot to buy something. I'm getting off the train. Let me just go in there and get something. Oh, I forgot my bag. Okay. Yeah. Give me the plastic bag. Cause I have to now carry all the stuff home. I, so I, I just, I'm rambling, but I would rather see the value system change. Yes. That's perpetuated this need for a better plastic bag. And I, better... I mean, go ahead. No, that's all right. Jump in. Um, no, I think there are two parts to this, right? One of which is that even if, as you say, Nicole, we stop catering to this, it's like, well, but this is a differentiator. People want to do less work in terms of like their day daily errands, right? It's not meaningful. It is annoying. And it's just like, I want this to be as minimally annoying as possible. 
it's like, sure, don't cater to that. But then also, like, what is the solution to not cater to that and still recognize that this is a very human reaction to just like not want to have to think about it. And the other piece of this, I think, is perhaps gender, which is that women tend to carry around bags as a rule. Um, like we have purses, we have whatever with us. And we can put a few bonus items in there in general. Like most of us are not carrying overstuffed purses. Um, or some of us carry teeny tiny purses, but not always. Um, and I think that that's kind of an interesting take that we can dive into more or we can dive into offline. But I, I think that's another thing. It's like men typically don't carry bags. Um, and the convenience culture, like I don't have an issue when I try to buy like a couple bonus items, you know, out and about. It's because I, I have a bag on me. Yeah. It's my purse. <laughs> I think, though, that there's a lot of thoughts that I have here. One is the culture part of this, right? That there is a culture that we have built, especially in this country, about like, oh, here's your drink, immediately hand you a straw. Oh, mm-hmm. are you buying something? Like, even if it's like, we went to the mall the other day, which, whoa, by the way, guys, went to a you mall. You were in a mall? I was in a mall. Wow. There's still and a mall that's open? What <laughs> happened? Was it like cobwebs? <laughs> It was no, there were, there were people there that we could have that chat That's later. another episode. <laughs> like, another episode. <laughs> so oh we went God. to the mall and I went to Sephora to buy like a replacement mm-hmm. concealer and she went and like immediately started to put it in one of those bags. And I was like, no, 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 you don't have to do that. So I think there's a lot of undoing of habits mm-hmm. that need to happen that is part of a culture maybe of the whole straw thing. It just drives me nuts. It's like if I'm receiving a drink, I don't need a straw. Um, and we can certainly do another whole episode on habits in this country of things like sitting down and immediately being presented with a full glass of water without being asked for it. Again, another story. Um, oh, yeah. That's reminding me of the bread and restaurants. Now, sometimes you don't automatically get that anymore, but you used to. Anyway. Well, but like if we, so talking about that just slightly, I think that there's actually an interesting innovation that's happening here in part because yeah. of COVID. Mm. Right. So if you think about how um, folks are kind of buying now, there's a shift to online and context delivery and curbside, which means that you're being intentional in how you're ordering. And people have actually switched to the, the nudge idea of like default is contactless or default is utensilless, right? So the, the, they're shifting the default and because you have to make the physical effort and it's not a face-to-face interaction, you have to make an active choice I think that there is actually an interesting innovation happening there um, as we're seeing through COVID. I would love to see that, yeah. Um, I mean, have you all ordered um, like from online takeout recently? I have. Yeah, has there been like an option for like, you've had to uncheck the box for contactless delivery and you've had to uncheck the box for utensils. I have and they I- They never follow it though. Exactly. So I, I don't, still even, get I don't even look, I'm like, whatever. Yeah. You know, I still get, get utensils get. despite like putting it in the comments, please don't send utensils, like unchecking the box and everything yeah. because it's a habit when you pack the order, you throw the yeah. utensils in. That's yeah. super interesting because I have not received utensils. I'm moving um, to where you live. Um, <laughs> everyone's welcoming you with open arms apparently but I think that that's an interesting mm-hmm. culture thing and like so going back to what Stephanie said about going grocery shopping every day mm-hmm. in India that's not an unusual concept like you go down and you it's have like Europe. a yeah in Europe you have like just a vegetable stand on your corner yeah. even in New York there used to be the produce guys on almost yeah. every corner yeah 
go down, buy what you need, and then make your dinner that night and do that every day, every other day. It's not a big deal. But in this country, it's like, no, I'm going to the grocery store today and I'm not going again for two weeks, you know? Right, because you don't have that time. And you don't have that time because society doesn't value you spending your time doing those kinds of things. I mean, we've, we're rushed constantly so that we're always like, I've got to order online because I don't have time to go to a store, you know? But it's even like... I think it goes beyond no, it's, that. It's less, it's less about, at least for me, my perspective is that it's, yes, we, there are things that we do day to day that are annoying, these sort of mundane errands and technology and the opportunity to get something online rather than having to take the time to go. I, I get that. And I'm with you there. But I think it's just gotten out of hand to the point where now any effort at all is like, oh my God, I can't possibly... Um, but so it's because know. the option has presented itself to not expend effort. So I think there's, so I think there's, there are ways to leverage that for good. So for example, yeah, I could see that. I, I am one of those people. That. I grew up outside of a city, um, where there is not what? a fruity stand on every corner. Um, yeah. and so it was like the weekly grocery shop. It was a one-time, you know, right. it wasn't like every True. night. It was, it was a process. You made a list, you shopped. It was a, correct. There was a routine to it. And, you know, I live in a city now and like, it presents itself as an option to go produce shopping every week. But with COVID, like I switched to an online delivery service because I did not want to go to the grocery store um, or see people. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that there is an opportunity here for that shift. Yeah. And I think there are ways to make it more productive. Um, and I by productive, I mean more friendly. Like the, the grocery delivery service that I use, like they pack, like they had a packaging collection program for their, um, for their boxes. Um, which they've discontinued because of COVID and the concerns around uh, reusables. And we can dive into that. But I, I think that there are things that can be done with technology and like like accepting that people have these tendencies and then leveraging them in a useful way, in a way that is less destructive. Mm -hmm. I, I completely agree with you. And I think that there is an opportunity for just being aware to how we are being more intentional. So it's not like anymore like, oh shit, I don't have tomatoes. Like I'm just gonna run out or I'm gonna grab them on my way home from work. And then you're suddenly standing there with two tomatoes in your hand because you don't have a bag for them. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, okay, well I'm planning that I'm gonna leave my apartment on this day with my hand sanitizer and my reusable bag. So I think that there is an opportunity for a return to intentionality like you're talking about. Mm Here's -hmm. hoping. Mm. well and it's like you know the routine is now that you go out with with your mask that was not a difficult thing to adjust to I mean yes it was people are fighting against it for various reasons that are related to senses like but it was <laughs> yet another by and large it was not a difficult <laughs> adjustment to make to just be like oh I'm going outside let's put on a mask and there's a norm there that's like if you go outside your front door and you don't have a mask on you're gonna get looks from people on the street like what's wrong with you you are <laughs> That's the moral of the story. Stare at people in your grocery stores if they don't have reusable bags. No, no, no. You don't stare at people. The cashiers stare at you. It's this, you like getting inside the system. It's that the cashier, it's like going back to what you were saying. Don't coddle. Don't coddle. Don't coddle. The cashiers are staring at you for not bringing your, your, your reusable bag. I just, I laughed so hard when, like, I know Jersey City and I think New York might have done it as well. They were like, oh, we'll just put like a, a fee on plastic bags, like a 10 cent fee. I'm like, that's not going to yeah. deter people. Well, New York did the ban and then they did the fee on the paper. Oh, interesting. Yeah, we have um, 
thicker plastic bags that are called reusable bags, but well, you have to pay for them. I mean, it's like thicker plastic, meaning that like plastic is a forever material and like you can reuse it up to, I think those thicker bags are a hundred times if yeah. they're rating. Yeah. But the people still forget them, you know, and of course I'm not going to take around a pla like a plastic bag in my bag, it's my bag of bags. <laughs> Everyone has a bag of bags. Everyone has oh, a bag of bags. <laughs> that's what's insane. It's like, I always have a bag on me. So it's like, why would I take an extra bag? Yeah. Well, lots to think about with convenience culture. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if you guys have any more thoughts. I mean, obviously, we're not going to solve this today, because if we could, we would. Uh, but I think that it is important for people to think about how they're shopping, how much waste they're generating in that shopping, um, and if there are alternatives that they could kind of slowly start to incorporate into their lives. Like, for example, I get really irritated when people are like, oh, I ran out of toilet paper, I'll just order it on Amazon. I'm like, there's a corner store down the street. We can go pick up toilet paper. So I think even just being more mindful of when you're indulging in convenience culture could be a nice first step for people to take away from this conversation. What do you think? Yeah, I like that. I mean, are you really too busy to make coffee at home put it in your reusable mug do you really i'm just saying no offense to starbucks and the coffee shops out there that everybody loves but um yeah i could leave it there um emma any closing thoughts i think that there are i think that it's not at an individual level it's not about individual preferences it's about designing a system that encourages people to make choices that are better for society as a whole. So it's not about like whether or not you make coffee at home. It's about whether like, are we facilitating making coffee at home? Are we facilitating you get, getting uh, whatever product you need in the least amount of packaging possible um, and creating that creates the least amount of waste possible. It's like, are we creating those systems that facilitate those better choices at a consumer level and at a, you know, B2B level? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I think about that all the time, which has to come first, the system or the demand. Um, and I'm always of the opinion that they kind of have to happen at the same time. Oh, of course. One drives the other. Of course. Maybe we need, you know, at the airport, how they have those water bottle refill stations. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is our next billion dollar idea, guys. What if we make those, but for coffee in subway stations? I'll edit this. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Um, but also, like, that's what Coke and Pepsi are doing. They're shifting their business models to that. That's why yeah. uh, Pepsi bought Soda Stream is because they're yeah. like, nobody's buying, one, nobody's buying sugary drinks, and two, people are shifting away from single-use plastics. So let's buy Soda Stream because that is in-home DIY. Like, that was their strategic move, which I thought was brilliant. I'm like, cool, let's go work for Pepsi. Also, but I do like Coke better. <laughs> which is terrible. I think Pepsi does better things, but Coke is tastier. Yeah, much. You're still editing, editing this out, right? We'll see. Um, <laughs> yeah. On that note, uh, I just wanted to leave it with you guys. If you had any last closing words for our viewers, this has been so fun and lively. And I know I could sit here for another hour and a half talking to you guys about packaging, but we all have lives and things and private <laughs> conversations to get to. Um, I just wanted to leave it with you guys. Any last closing words? putting you on the spot yeah what a spot 
What's your one takeaway from today, you think? My one takeaway from today. Crickets, apparently. Um, no, my takeaway is that, uh, you know, it's not just, it's not just technolo doing technology to get our, out of it, right? It's not just figuring out the, the compostables or the bioplastics. It's also figuring out the, the models and changing the behavior in order to make sure that as a, as a society, as a culture, as, you know, people living in the U.S., we are part of a system that is actually working towards good instead of working towards ill. I guess I'll add on the systems note that I think it's really important that we, um, we don't, we're, we're not designing more band-aids for a broken system that we really, um, as we are designing incremental improvements, if that's where we are right now, that's better than not moving forward, but understand that they're incremental and that to sort of jump to the real systems change, we really have to look more closely at the system that's been failing us. So um, designing a different plastic bag or designing some other packaging um, to work better in a broken system, I don't think really helps us in the long run. I think I'll add my last little two bits on this. Um, my big takeaway from today is that it's it's going to be really exciting and interesting um, to see kind of what happens in this space and how we examine lots of different systems. Um, because obviously the solutions that are working for me in a city are not going to work for people in the middle of America or in other parts of the world. And I think it's really important that we keep that in mind. And even though we live in a world of global corporations that are selling the same product all over the planet, I think that needs to be re-examined and really think about what's gonna work based on different situations. Um, so that's kind of my- Bringing accessibility to the system. Yeah. Is gonna be yeah. Fuck the sustainability tax. <laughs> <laughs> what That's a closing, closing thought. Closing thought. Fuck the sustainability <laughs> All tax. All right. Do I have to top that now? What's no, you don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both so much for being on the show and for being my season two closer. I couldn't yeah. think of a better way to wrap things up this season than talking about my personal passion. Um, and for everyone else who's watching, I'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Nicole. Rip it, 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 rip it